0: Hello and welcome to the show that's going to change your life. I am your host, Surab Mirman. This is the show that uncovers the mindsets and habits of the most innovative and influential people in the world. I have a dream. We're going to learn from the very best by interviewing authors, filmmakers, philanthropists, entrepreneurs. We're also going to study the greats, the living ones and the dead ones, and figure out exactly what makes them so great or not great. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. Now, words of motivation from Shia LaBeouf. Some people dream of success while you're going to wake up and work hard at it. Nothing is impossible. So if you want to be your best, subscribe. What are you waiting for? Do it! This is episode one, and we have a very special guest in the studio today. He started as a Mormon missionary who became a Cambodian rock star. That's him singing. They even had their own show on Cambodian television. And now he has a viral video making machine, making advertisements for companies like Chatbooks, Clash of Clans, Purple, Mobile Strike, Oracle, and Vivent. His work has been seen by hundreds of millions of people worldwide. He's won three student Emmys and been nominated for a student Oscar. We talk about his career and what makes him him, including meditation practices with sensory deprivation tanks and the benefits of cold showers. So join us for a conversation with A. Todd Smith.
1: What I do remember from being a kid, really young, is watching like old Spielberg movies on VHS, Mm. like E.T., and I feel like some of them, either that or they were on TV. I would see little behind-the-scenes featurettes, and I remember watching like Spielberg do his thing, and just going, as a young kid, you know, I don't even remember how old I was. Just going, that's what I want to do. I don't understand what he's doing, Ugh. but just that feeling of like, I want to be a filmmaker. I want to be Spielberg. I suppose what surprised me over the years is that it's remained. And then I, I decided I wanted to to, to do the film thing. I wasn't sure exactly where I was actually. I started to do it while I was on the music scholarship at, uh, UBSC at the time, um, and was loving it over there. Um, but at, at the time, Napoleon Dynamite had just recently come out and Napoleon Dynamite had come out of Jared and Jerusha has who made that film, came out of BYU. And so I decided, well, maybe that's the place to be. I had heard from filmmakers and, um, some relatives that are in the film business that, um, you know, it's all about networking. So I decided, you know, if I'm going to do the school thing for film, it should be solely to do to network. And since since BYU at the time was such a hot place to be, it was a great place to network, I decided to go over there. Even as a kid, I would think about the filmmaking process. I would ask myself, how are these images being made? Quite a bit. Like, so much that I did, like, even without understanding the filmmaking process really early on, I would pull myself
0: out of the the movie going experience because I was thinking about how things were being made so often if that makes sense. what was the first time you uh, picked up a camera and and directed people to do something for you?
1: in high school, I was in a ska punk band and played my trumpet in a punk band, and I was hanging out in school with all the punk rockers and the trench coat mafia folks, you know a lot of the people that like people were afraid of, but I discovered that these people were just amazing really cool individuals and um, made really good friends with like the punk rockers and then I joined a punk band and played my trumpet in the punk band and we decided one day to make a music video and so my very first thing I, I suppose was I bought like a digital like a mini dv camcorder and we shot a music video and I edited it on one of the very first versions of premiere and it was my first time ever editing
0: anything I want to talk about you as a rock star <laughs> in Cambodia. Tell us how the heck did that happen?
1: Yeah, it was crazy. it was uh, It was something it became an important moment in my life because I learned a very important lesson about it. But, but first, like uh, the brief story about how it happened. And my history in Cambodia was that I've done a lot of humanitarian service there. Um, I initially. Um, served um, some time for my church or the church I went to at the time. No longer necessarily subscribed to that anymore, or just really any religion. But uh, it got me out there, and it got me learning the language. And I learned. I spent a couple of years there, learned the language, um, served a lot of time, just trying to help the country. You know, to do something good for the people out there. Um, and, and, and I caught the kind of Cambodian bug from that, at that point, I just fell in love with the culture, the people, the language, and decided that I wanted to just keep going back. So I came back and started university from, uh, you know, after I initially went there, but every summer I would go back to Cambodia and would typically either volunteer at at some kind of, kind of an orphanage or some kind of organization where I could help out. I even like did a lot of translating for red, red cross, you know, the companies that go out there and, do the cleft palate surgeries and that kind of thing. I decided that I wanted to make some form of a documentary um with a couple of buddies that who also had um spent a lot of time in Cambodia and also knew spoke the language um so it was a, a bunch of my fellow friends who um were getting into the film department at the same time that I was and we decided it just made sense to go back to Cambodia and make a documentary. Um, but we went back one summer first to try to find a story. And, um, and that's kind of where all this started because we were, uh, we were volunteering at an orphanage and, uh, one of my buddies, he plays guitar and he sings pretty well. And so we would, um, we would actually do like, uh, he and I and, and the guys, we would put together these little Cambodian songs that were just pop songs, popular songs at the time and, um, sing them for all these orphan kids, um, and they loved it i mean it's just like they got the biggest kick out of it and uh you know and and that just makes you it's just a good time it just makes you feel good just to like watch people laugh and sing and and think it's the craziest thing that you're singing in their language uh nonetheless speaking in it and so we um we decided to create a, a fake boy band of sorts and um And uh, it wasn't really a thing, but it was uh, it became something because in between one of those summers, we decided, uh, you know, we went back to school uh, after the summer and we're preparing to shoot a documentary. And I decided to like, let's just see what happens if I email like one of the biggest TV stations and and tell them that we have a band (laughs) and we didn't actually have a band. (laughs) But but I was like, uh, so I emailed this producer uh, that was. Uh, the manager of this uh, TV station, I told them that hey, we're a bunch of white dudes that sing Cambodian. People love it, and we have a band, and we're a thing. And uh, uh, he emailed me back really quick. It, it surprised me. I honestly didn't think I'd get a response back, but he emailed me back and he's like, "Hey, this sounds awesome. Can you send me a video of you guys performing?" And we're like, "Oh crap." But yeah, I, got, I grabbed. Uh, you know, we we rent. We got into a stage at, at school. We rent. Uh, you know, we borrowed a bunch of cameras. And I we shot little pieces of this song, that we couldn't play all the way through, and um, but what I ended up doing is put like a I ended up cutting it together so it seemed like one cohesive long piece, and I put a fake audience track underneath the whole thing and threw that up on YouTube, and uh, and then like Cambodians started discovering it and like going crazy over it, and then I got a phone call from this producer who was just freaking out and going. We, would, we want you guys out here. we want to put you on our biggest t v show um and most popular program it runs Saturday night live in front of the entire country, and he's like, "Can you play can you play like six songs for us <laughs> and And so I had to kind of break it to him that I was like well, uh, you know, like we're really busy preparing this documentary and uh or we're, we're kind of a band <laughs> um I was like, but we could probably pull together like three songs." Um, and, um, so that's what we did. We ended up pulling together three songs and playing them live pretty terribly in front of the entire country. And, uh, I, I took my trumpet along and that was kind of a novelty thing because, um, trumpet playing just isn't a huge thing over in that country. Um, especially after the genocide that happened over there. And, uh, yeah, the whole thing just blew up. We kept getting flown back out there. And to play and sing on either TV, we had our own TV show um, where we were pre- talking and presenting music videos to the whole country. Um, you know, a variety of music videos, either local music videos that we thought were cool or international music videos. And uh, the show was called Brang Barang, which is <laughs> translates to like basically means Frenchy Frenchy, it's like the derogatory white boy term
0: <laughs> this still online can um, oh yeah yeah
1: <laughs> amazing yeah if you search for muck m-u-k you'll find a bunch of those videos uh yeah, yeah no it's it's crazy uh, which which stands for octopus and there's no logical reason why we named our band muck other than <laughs> it just sounded funny <laughs> <laughs> what we didn't realize is we started getting all these comments from cambodian americans who were reconnecting with their roots And sending us these long, thankful messages about how our dedication to the language and to the country and the culture inspired them to go back or even move back in some cases and either get into humanitarian service or just try to make a change for the country. You know, and so that that became an outcome that we just like did not see coming whatsoever and we're just stoked about. But it was also a lesson in
0: just like cold emailing some producer. That brings me to something else, which I think I think perhaps began your commercial filmmaking career. But you basically did a cold email on LinkedIn. Is that how you how you got your first client? <laughs> I
1: I ended up going to Cambodia. I shot another feature length documentary. Uh, that documentary is called Still I Strive. I think it's on Hulu or Amazon Prime. Um, just a little tiny film about some orphan kids that we um, got connected to. That um, really cool. It was an amazing, incredible experience, the whole thing. But the um. I did that, and then I, I got home and, um, and kind of took my student film around to fil- various film festivals. Uh, but I still had these buddies that were like, you should do something on YouTube. Um, and so I decided, okay, let's launch this uh, YouTube channel. And also at the time, I got connected to a local production company who asked me to direct one of their feature films. So that was my first like feature film I made with um, a company called Aerostorm and the reason I mentioned that film is because we had this idea to start a YouTube channel and it's like, we, we should cut, we should start this channel. Uh, it was me and this producer buddy that I worked with a lot. And, um, we decided we've got to make the, let's start a YouTube channel, What should we make it about. And, uh, and, um, we realized like the gaming audience, you know, Devin Graham, you know, people like him, he, 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 he realized that too. I mean, like he's got plenty of gaming kind of fan content out there, but, um, that stuff kills it, you know, on YouTube. It finds an audience because you're tapping into an existing IP. And, um, and uh, at the time, we, we, we were all just playing for fun a game called Clash of Clans, um, which was just like an iOS game at the time. Um, and we're just loving it. And, then, and we were, uh, this producer I was working with we realized, like, oh, nobody's made a Clash of Clans video. Let's do a Clash of Clans video and we're like yeah that'd be a great way to to launch the channel especially since i have made these fantasy feature films but anyway we but we're also kind of like well this is a fantasy thing like it's it'd be a really hard thing to just kind of bankroll and and make for fun by yourself um so that's when the linkedin thing came in and that's when we 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 uh registered for like a pro linkedin account um and contacted the like the marketing you know, whatever the job title is, CEO of marketing, or, you know, head marketer, man. (laughs) We found him on LinkedIn for this company called Supercell, you know, and they, um, they're the creators of the game. They had a branch. I mean, they're from Norway, I think, I think is where the company's from. And, um, but they had a branch in San Francisco. So we contacted that guy that's in San Francisco. And we're like, hey, we're launching a YouTube um, channel and we want to launch it with the Clash of Clans video. And, we were like, we're going to, we, we basically just told them we're going to make this, you know, kind of no matter what. And we're just wondering if you guys want to get involved. Um, but this is how we're launching our channel. And, and what I ended up doing is sending them a reel, like one of Aerostorm Entertainment's reels, mm. those fantasy projects that mm. I made yep, yep. just to show them like we've made stuff in this world, you know, mm. in, in the fantasy world, which is, you know, Clash, that's what Clash of Clans is. Um it's a really cartoony fantasy world. And so I sent them the real. We got a re- it was it was like the Cambodia thing. We got a response back and we we're like, "Holy crap, they responded." we well, we got a response that was like, "We'd love to talk. We're in San Francisco. Do you guys happen to be around here any you know at any point?" And we immediately responded back, "Oh, yeah, we happen to be there next weekend." Um, and
0: where are you going to be? <laughs> no, oh, no.
1: <laughs> and so we set up a meeting with them and they're like, "Oh, perfect. That sounds great." And so we me and uh, my producer friend and our wives hopped in a car and drove to san francisco you know the the 10 12 hours it takes to get up there and had a meeting with supercell and pitched them our idea um and that was like my first pitch pitching a client kind of experience um but it was it was a slow burn at first we were a little bit nervous because it was just like ten thousand views 11,000 views, you know, and then all of a sudden 50,000 views and then all of a sudden 100 and all of a sudden like we hit a million and we thought that was a big deal and then it just like kept going from there, you know, but pretty slowly and then, uh, but um, at one point, I remember, I think it was the first, um, it was like the the holiday season after we'd released the video. For some reason, it caught on fire Um, and basically what me and this producer partner decided to do was any revenue that was coming in from that video, we would dump back into the channel, you know, it wouldn't go into our pockets. Uh, we were doing, you know, client work on the side there to pay the bills. And uh, we just decided we want to, you know, turn this into a cool channel and uh, keep it growing. So we bought a red, you know, with, with the revenue that was coming in. Um, and then, um, you know, when more money would come in, we'd put it to, <clears throat> to another little side video. Sorry, drink drink the water real quick here where that video went right. I mean you, you can check out that Clash of Clans video and <clears throat> I haven't looked at it recently but it's it's got over 50 million views. Wow. And um but it's like it's not like the greatest video. I mean especially if you've never played Clash of Clans. Um but but I think like it's, it's taken me a while to figure out for some reason the, uh, the uh, just that um, that is also its strength because we pitched them, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we, we pitched them that we wanted to make something that um that had a whole bunch of inside jokes that just like really appealed to the people playing the game, um you know, and, and we made fun of glitches in the game. For example, like if you, you put a soldier out to to like go attack a base, you'll have like one or two stragglers that just sit there hitting a wall for no apparent reason. It's just a, like it's, and it's a funny glitch. So we put that glitch into the into the video. And I mean it's just a joke in the video which you would you would not understand whatsoever unless you've like played the game. And then turns out that that I think is a very real strength of the video because it just you know people that have played the game, they share it with other people that are other people that are playing the game. And um you know so we we learned really quickly, like, this is the power of tapping into a target demographic, you know, which for us was people that play Clash of Clans. It wasn't, you know, and, and, a, and the thing is, like, a brand would be nervous about this, but, like, to they they want to attract new users, right? You know, and they want to attract people, new people to come into the game and spend money in their game. We wanted to make a video that was for the people playing the game, um, you know, which I think is important. And, that, and that's actually, you know, something that's, like, led into my career bled into my commercial career quite a bit and you know with things like uh, that's what chat books does really well you know is it it taps into a very specific target demographic and taps into the re- relatability factor of that demographic um that a- appeals to them in a personal and real way what happened with me at the time then was that um I got offered, a, you know, I got offered another documentary. Um, cause, because I I finished school, I made a documentary. Um, well, you know, first I finished school with a short film, with a thesis film, and took that to festivals. Then I made the documentary, um, and then I made the feature film after that. And then um, I got contacted by the guy that I made the first documentary for, who wanted to make another one, and he offered me like really good money. So I just um, I left that YouTube world for a little bit to go make this documentary. In
0: Cambodia again, correct? Or no?
1: Um, no, the, he, it was the same investor that funded the Cambodian film, but he wanted, um, the Cambodian documentary, but he wanted to do something more scientific, kind of talking headsy, uh, traveling around to other places in the world, Italy and Hawaii and Korea, and um, just kind of all over the place. But
0: yeah, totally different subject. Um, your thesis film, real quick, correct me if I'm wrong, <clears throat> student Emmy, or...?
1: Yeah, yeah, so it got... It got three student Emmys, um, nominated for a student Oscar, um, which was really cool. It was a cool experience, um, right out of the gate. I mean, it was a very important movie for that reason, just for straight up for like <clears throat> a little bit of validation, like mm. right out of school, Absolutely. you know, to like, um, I remember like, uh, the, at the, the student Emmy celebration thing that I, I won the best, uh, the best director award. And then, it won the first place um, comedy, I think it was. Um, but the uh, you know for the director award, I remember like, Sandra Oh uh, of Grey's Anatomy, and the director of Grey's Anatomy presented the award for me, and I got to like talk with them after, and it was just like really cool. They'd watch the movie. That's amazing. They were instructed to watch the movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they had no choice, but they loved it. <laughs>
1: yeah. and, and and to give feedback on it, you know, oh. and, um, I <laughs> I mean the, what I remember from them specifically was it's just so it's. Um so experimental and like so uh you know it's not that experimental of a of of a film but i I understand that why they were saying that now now, you know after mm. kind of like knowing kind of how t v world works mm. but um but you know like um and, and you know they 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 gave me a lot of encouragement as a young filmmaker you know and that that whole program that whole like award ceremony you know my like uh when I got up on stage that's the first thing that came to mind was like, okay, cool, I can do this you know, like this is kind of what I need like right out of school to to know that like i can I can direct and i can I can do this you know like
0: so since I've known you, you've gone through a lot of changes, um most noticeably physically losing fifty pounds and know you're still you know uh, you're still engaged working in at it. Yeah. still working at it you're still you're engaged in uh, jujitsu. yes yeah, right? so yeah. you do you're a very active individual um, so I wonder when that when you decided to to make the shift and you know basically change your life.
1: Huh? I mean, a lot of that has to do with like listening to things like this, to be honest, like listening to stories, listening to Success podcasts, various podcasts, I think it, it actually kind of stems from, um, that second documentary that i got asked to make, um, which is a very scientific documentary. It was about, um, a very big subject, which is, was about the connection, human, the human connection to nature. <clears throat> if beautiful. that makes sense, beautiful. Yes, it's so a big, you know, massive Huge. subject. And what we ended up kind of a little bit narrowing down in on was uh, microbes and the microbiome and the how that functions and, our, you know, like how microbes, you know, how microbes specifically connect us to the earth and to nature. Um, Ooh, and we got, you know, so you know, when it comes to documentary, you're getting paid to do a, tons of tons and tons of uh, research. You know, so I mean, like, that's the first couple of months of that project was just research, 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 <clears throat> and hanging out with a lot of scientists. And um, so that, I think that was my first, you know, that's when I I was weighing in, you know, like in the 260s. You know, I, um, <clears throat> well, I got into martial arts while I was at, in college, but I, um, and jujitsu in particular, but I was mostly using it as a, a form of therapy. <laughs> you know, I just realized that, um, and we can kind of get, I, I suppose we can get into why later, because uh, when we start talking about the why, mm, indeed. Um, but um, it became therapy for me. And so exercise has always kind of been a part of my, a part of my life, but, it, but mostly for the endorphins, you know, for just the sake of like feeling good, you know, but then making this documentary made me realize how much like diet is such an important piece of that mm. and have diet is such a, you know, what we put in our bodies is such an important part of um how, you know how we feel how we function you know um and and there's reasons for that you know nutrition is kind of such a you know if you think about it, it's such a young early scientific field you know mm. that's not been around that long indeed um it's especially just in terms of like the human history <laughs> you know kind of thing mm-hmm. so it's a, It's a, it's a constantly evolving field of science that, that I find so fascinating. And I find it fascinating mostly because of this documentary, you know, where I was hanging out with all these scientists and kind of learning about these things and learning about microbes and, um, and how all that works, you know, but, um, how did that improve your relationship with nature to the point where like once a week I go jogging with my two kids down to Utah Lake. When I get to Utah Lake, I take off my shoes and dig my feet in the dirt to connect my to connect my skin with the the microbes of the earth. You know, it's, yeah, it all sounds it sounds kind of hippy dippy, but you know, there's it's, there's actual like scientific evidence
0: of on um, the benefits of all that. You absolutely, know? yeah. Recently, I read that the Earth has a certain frequency that it is always operating at, and our bodies are like always trying to find the same frequency as the Earth, but we don't necessarily help it along the way. But I think doing uh, things like that, like, you know, taking your shoes off and connecting with the earth. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's it's so important. You know, and raising kids, you know, I've just been definitely learned from that documentary. It's like, you know, if they want to eat dirt and get into dirt, let, let them do it. <laughs> you know, like, it's just it's only good for your immune system and for the for the necessary microbes that everybody needs you know that making that documentary got me thinking a lot I guess it maybe made me start to become a much more uh much more logical thinker you know thinking about the scientific method more in how I just live my life you know both in the film world and just physically mentally emotionally <clears throat> spiritually even you know I heard about headspace and headspace kind of got me into meditation a little bit i you know I heard about headspace from a podcast I think it was Russell Brand's podcast he Mm. he interviewed the guy that um the guy that started head headspace and they did the podcast in the headspace studio you know it's super super cool what is headspace and well headspace is just it's an app that um helps you with some guided uh, guided meditation you know it's it's a nice like quick little introduction to meditation some of it's guided more than others but I mean that's they've got a Tons and tons and tons of different kinds of programs, um, you know, guided meditation that will help you sleep, guided meditation that will help you focus. Um, and you pay like one subscription fee and you get access to all these, you know, guided meditations. And then um, and that's what, that's what started getting me into it. I, I looked a little bit into um, what is it called? I'm trying to remember. Katy Perry is huge on this type of meditation. Um, Trans- Transcendental. Yep. Yeah, and I went went did the introductory class for the transcendental meditation, um, <laughs> and which I found very fascinating. I, I'd actually still like to look into it a little bit more um, because they they try to they try to bring in the science into uh, into the meditation world a little bit. You know, like the, a lot of studies have gone into it, and uh, you know, a lot of like a lot of the the benefits have started to be studied more on a scientific level. You know, so it's like. Um, you know, the, the, looking at it from that perspective, I think attracts a certain crowd, me being one of them, you know, and, um, but, you know, I remember asking the instructor in this introductory class, I was like, well, do you do any other forms of, of meditation? And, um, if so, why or why not? You know, and he, and he, he stopped and is like, Good question. I mean, uh, I haven't needed to do any other types of meditation. There, there is no other type of meditation. This is it. Mm. You know, he he became all of a sudden a bit of an evangelist for
0: <laughs> <laughs> for very defensive yes. for
1: his 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 meditation. And my my days in Mormonism, like, kind of kind of went off in my mind a little bit, and kind of went red flag, red flag, <laughs> red flag. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it turned me off a little bit because it was just. It started to sound like the one true church talk, you know, <laughs> and, um, and so I got a little bit cold feet, but then I found headspace and, uh, which got me more into meditation. But then that, that led to, you know, of course, like I mentioned, podcast before being a big part of, uh, just trying to educate myself, you know, listening to Joe Rogan's podcast years and years ago kind of got me into being interested in isolation tanks, de- sensory deprivation tanks. Um so I I've been getting more and more into that that's that's been like the the most effective way to for for myself to to really learn meditation because it just forces you to confront yourself.
0: <laughs> so let's just say you're in an isolation tank. You're in there but it's still up to you to get a hold of your thoughts, right? I mean yeah, yeah. and and but it just makes it a lot easier, it makes you more aware of your thoughts or Talk to us about the benefits of it and, and what you've noticed.
1: It's evolving. It's crazy. I, like uh, this is something like, I haven't really heard people talk about on on his podcast anymore and any or in, in other podcast is just that how different a session will be one from another. Um, like I just did it last night, um, and I, I've started to keep a a float journal because um, <clears throat> I'll have like a wave of inspiration come to me in the first hour or so after I've done like an hour long session of floating. Um, and I'll just write down these thoughts and impressions and, um, and, uh, it's been just, yeah, it it can, some sessions, some, like, sometimes it can get really hard, you know, I mean, like you, to be like floating in very dense salt water in complete darkness and complete silence with earplugs in is, um, it forces you to confront yourself and I think that the, one of the first things that I learned <clears throat> was just how loud I am you know inside you know like I I just kept telling myself to, like just sh- shut the hell up just shut up you know like quiet quiet you know because you get in there and you just like um and this is a common thing with meditation right I mean like a lot of mm-hmm. like guided meditation it's all about like focus on not focusing on anything you know like let it all go you know maybe maybe focus on your body to like, you know, but, but try to try to not let the onslaught of thoughts, you know, come, come into your mind, you know, and um, sometimes these, these float sessions will turn into just battling that the whole time, you know, just like feeling all these, and especially when you're a filmmaker, I mean, you know, and you're, you're, you're just freelance, you know, self-employed filmmaker who's doing his own thing, you know, like, There's a lot to think about, you know, because you're thinking about creative, you're thinking about business, you're thinking about um, the next gig, the next
0: gig, (laughs) (laughs) the next pitch, Yeah,
1: the next paycheck, the next paycheck. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Or if you or or if you did a pitch, you were thinking, gosh, did I do that pitch right? Yeah. You're thinking about something that's already done, right? That's in the past, which is the whole point of meditation is to just drop everything and be in the moment exactly yeah
1: and um and that's what the i mean the sensory deprivation stuff i mean it just forces you to do that uh. you can get a lot of the same benefits just from straight up meditation um for me it just takes <laughs> it takes a little bit more concentration you know because at least you can let go of your body a little bit more but you know that and that's like there's just i keep finding more and more mental emotional benefits but also physical um, I'll typically do it at the end of a week when I'm like really sore <clears throat> after a week of doing like the martial arts stuff, and I've uh, recently been getting more and more into CrossFit. You know, the just more more weightlifting things that I never ever did as a kid. And I'll do like one of those uh, an hour long session in the tank and feel I don't know like forty to fifty percent less sore, you know, after I get out and. I don't know why that is, but it's just like you just feel great, you know. And, um, and you know, I feel like the older I get, the more in tune I become with things that do make you feel great, you know. And um, that includes food, you know. I mean, like, for example, my favorite breakfast right now is just uh, eggs and kimchi. Mm, I love kimchi. <laughs> and I love kimchi, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, those probiotics. I mean, that's from the, doing that documentary. I just like mm. I do a lot of probiotic um, whatever, you know, throughout the day. But, um, yeah, that'll just like supercharge me. And that's just something that like works for me and my body. It's not going to work for everybody out there, but like, I, I've just kind of discovered that that's something that's just like makes me feel good, you know, and that's something I can do consistently or, um, and even I've also discovered like n- not eating, um, something or, or the, you know, what I've been dabbling in, which is a huge hot topic right now is, uh, um, intermittent fasting, you know, that's another thing that just like makes me feel good. But you got to, you still got to figure out a way to make it work with like your lifestyle. And um, I think what I love most about that is like when you break a fast, the first thing you put in your body is uh, your body will pretty quickly tell you, you know, yeah. how how well it's talking to that food. Indeed. You know, um, it's a great way to just figure out what your body reacts to well and what it doesn't. You know, so. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. I'm learning a lot about all that, you know, and I and I just love it. I just like uh I've been thinking about lately is I, I'm an experienced person. I love any and every experience I can kind of get my hands on. I think part of that has has to do with uh leaving a religion that I was raised in and um even proselytized for, you know, um but you know, experience everything. Oh, that's a big part of the, my motivation for, like, a, a some kind of a physical transformation is just, like, I want to experience kite surfing. And that's something that's really difficult to do when you're heavy and obese, you know. I want to experience hang gliding, you know. I want to, you know, like, things like that, you know. Um, and even, like, the, it, it's if this is weird because I, I just kind of teamed up with a, a bit of a nutritionist about kind of this the next stage for me you know cuz i'm trying to finish this project mm. that i've been documenting for for the past 2 years with, about this transformation but um i've been trying to make a game plan of like how to make like the next you know i've been plateaued for a good year and i'm trying to figure out how to break through that and so what is the doctor going to help you do exactly do yeah you- well I'm, so I'm doing like a bunch of uh i mean this is the other thing too i think this this stems from the documentary maybe but I love experimenting on myself you know i mean that that's where the whole like intermittent fasting thing came from. I was like, let's just try this out. You know, let's try paleo. Let's—I mean, I love going vegan for a little while because you're vegan, right? Yep. Yep. And I love just going vegetarian for a while. I've—I've I've tried <laughs> bouts of the carnivore diet, which I don't recommend personally. It just didn't work for me, but you know, it works for some people. At uh, oh yeah, but speaking of blood work, so <laughs> t- today in the mail I get this new thing that who knows it could be. Total bullshit, but it's uh, this thing called Habit, which is a DNA test. Mm-hmm. Have you
0: heard of it? I have, I have. Yes. So I'm
1: doing that like this weekend.
0: Amazing, um, um, and that tells you wait that you drink the shake as well, yeah, right? Yeah, okay, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So you do a blood test. Yep. After a, like a ten hour fast, mm-hmm. you do the blood test. Before that, you drink their shake. You wait for two hours, do the blood test again, and then it's just it's meant to tell you the things that I've been, I think, kind of been learning myself over the years, you know, like what I mentioned about, like, if you do an intermittent fast, and like, first thing you put in your body, you can kind of see how your body's talking to that, that food and how how you're feeling. Um, I mean, this, this DNA test is all about just showing you, like, genetically speaking, this is what is going to be good for your body. This is the things, the kinds of things you should be focused on eating, you know, and from a, like a metabolism standpoint, it gives you a lot of that kind of information, which is just something I've, had to deal with my entire life. Like, uh, you know, I've had the metabolism of a 80 year old since I was like 10 years old. You know, it's just like, it's the, it's what I was dealt, you know, as a kid, It's just a crappy metabolism. I've never been able to like eat whatever I want, you know, never. Yeah. And, um, and so this documentary project I'm working on, it's called right now I'm calling it fighting genetics. <laughs> Cause I think what I've discovered, I think a lot of this has to do with, by the way, just being in the film industry is the, is just the, the concept of, uh, being held accountable. And, and and so I'm just getting this, this guy to just check in with me like twice a week, because I think we live in a world, you know, in the freelance world, especially we live in a world of deadlines, you know, and, and projects, you know, project starts here, ends here, deliveries here, you know, and, and you have a producer that's nagging and and telling you when to deliver things and when to do things. And, you know, that, that, that's been my world for the past like seven years is, is like working with these producers and having you know productions you know like start and end so anyway i'm kind of treating my next bout that way i just realized that that's how i've been functioning for a little while i just need somebody to be the producer and like hold me accountable
0: (laughs) now i want to go into your morning routine um I could tell you about my morning routine, but I'm really just more so interested in yours. What, what really interests me about yours is that you're so scientific just about your coffee and the way that you measure your coffee and just the way that you describe it. And if you were able to see A. Todd while he's talking about his coffee, he's moving his hands around and his fingers around like a mad scientist. And it just inspires me to drink more coffee. So now I want to know what else he does in the morning. And that's see. a big part of it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. All right. I mean, lately, it's been like, you know, I do the intermittent fasting
1: thing mostly because like in the morning, I feel I feel great with just like, you know, you make your black coffee and maybe have just some water, soda water, not worry about eating for the first half of the day, you know, which I think it's been a great practice and discipline for me. You know, I mean, I think it just gets you into the mindset of like, I don't need to eat, you know, and, and I definitely don't need to eat just for the sake of mouth pleasure, mm. you know, and, um, and I think it, you know, it helps me get into that mindset right off the bat. So that's a big part of it. But yeah, I, I like, I like making pour over coffee because it's, it's so meticulous, you know, it's like, so like you, you control every variable, you, you, you know, it's all and it's, it's a little bit like an art, you know, it's like, uh, you control the grind size, you control the temperature the um, and you know, so, so I start with like whole bean coffee, I grind it. And it's, uh, sometimes they'll play with the grind size based on what the where the beans are from, and what the roast is—you know, light, medium, or dark—and then and then you're controlling like the temperature of the water also affects the flavor based on what beans you have and the grind size, and so and the fil the kind of filter that you put it in is also affected, and then the water to coffee ratio is also all affected in, into the the flavor that you, the outcome that you get <laughs> from controlling all these all these variables but if you can find like the perfect ratios and you've and you remember all these variables then you can replicate it you can make it again you know like your perfect cup of coffee <laughs> you know so so it's like so it's part of my first, my morning you know it's just like playing with all these variables and figuring out my
0: Perfect cup of coffee for the morning. That's amazing. And that actually sets up how you live your life. You know, <laughs> I'm used to do, uh, or I don't know if you still do it, but you've told me about um, taking cold showers or just exposing yourself to cold water for, <laughs> for breathing methods. Can you talk about yeah. that? Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's an epic podcast. Which one is it? I think it's Joe Rogan. Um, he he uh, interviews Wim Hof. Mm. And, uh, man, interesting dude. The dude, like, freaking hiked Everest in shorts. Wow. And like and and a walking stick. Wow. Like that's it. You know, and no no tank. You know, and he like he's got all sorts of crazy stories, but he's also one of the first people that scientifically proved in a laboratory setting that you can lower your body temperature just with breathing techniques. Um and so it's a really compelling podcast to listen to. It's just or just listening to him in general. I think he has his own app too that has a whole bunch of like breathing um breathing exercises and such. Um, but yeah. And so it was from there. I I kind of was learning about like the benefit of like turning your shower cold for like 60 seconds or something like as cold as you can and using that to force your way into like, you know, like some really intense breathing and Mm -hmm. to start your day with that and just to get your blood flowing through your whole system. Mm -hmm. It's really benefit. It's really difficult, but I think that's the other side to it. That's pretty incredible. I mean, just to, Start your your day with doing something difficult. Yeah, is really beneficial. You know, Absolutely. I mean, just kind of mentally um, speaking, it's itself. You know, I, mean, I, I think like, and it's one of the reasons I really like jujitsu, <clears throat> jujitsu and martial arts in general. Because I've never been an athletic person, but like doing like you know like the the practice jujitsu in particular, the practice of like tapping out if somebody's got you in a chokehold or or an arm lock. And, you know, not letting, you know, bowing down to them, tapping out and, and and telling them that I give up, you know, it's like a really humbling and important thing to do, I think, as a, as a human being, just to realize that you aren't the center of the universe, you know, mm. and you aren't in control of the situation. So you're tapping out, you know, like you're mm. submitting. And uh, anyway, I, I think that's that's
0: why the cold showers are I, like it's one of the reasons the cold showers, I think, are beneficial. Because it's hard. It sucks. Mm. I I don't know how to say it, like because I'm in the film industry, maybe I'm a little bit detached, but I feel like uh, it could be really easy to be an asshole as a director or a producer, you know, or just as one of the top top people. And I guess it was it was easier like for the older school people. Um, Nowadays, I I don't know. Maybe maybe people are more easily replaceable to where like you you know if you're an asshole too much and you don't offer. Although I don't know, man. Like I feel like you could be an asshole and still be successful but you choose to be a nice person. <laughs> and so maybe you get more success. Yeah, I
1: mean, like, that's been a big, big part of the why for me, actually. Um, just speaking about like kind of why filmmaking, why, why I do what I do. But, um, but I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny, this North Carolina job, this agency job that I just got back from, like, they, um, the one major piece of feedback that I got was they were pleasantly surprised with how easy I was to collaborate with and work with. I think because they they had dealt, and they were telling me all sorts of horror stories from past directors that have come in and just want their way and are just complete assholes about it, you know. And um, that's still a thing, you know. There's plenty of
0: people out there that are just like dicks for the sake of being a a dick, you know. um, I think think it has a lot to do with having a learner mentality, which I know that you have. It's like the more open you are to learning, than the the less you feel like you know and the more you feel like you know the the more you don't want to hear other people and so you could be short and you know abrupt with people and
1: yeah yeah i mean like so that ties into the why for me because i think like um like i mentioned earlier agnosticism kind of has become a big part of um how i live now and how i think um and that that and the you know the kind of an exit you know leaving a religion um is uh i mean i don't know it, it, that's kind of where i've left off without like digging too far down or going too far down that rabbit hole i just like kind of ended up on the other side where i, I, I realized i've be become a kind of an ag- agnostic humanist which is just that like i think agnosticism is something that should would benefit the entire world if people would just kind of have more of that mindset you know not just from a religious standpoint but just from a everything standpoint just just the practice of saying i don't know is so beneficial you know and like um i don't know something i don't know like if uh, you know for, like uh from a spiritual side of things it's like you, you know i don't know if there is a god or if there isn't one you know like i think there's there's not quite and you know and this is this can be debated debated for days and days and years you know but but you know like you can't prove one way or another so it just seems to me that it just becomes your choice at some point but but at the same time just like uh being willing to say i don't know something is um is similar to the the, the submission thing i talked about earlier you know the the, the idea of tapping out it's just a, that humility is so important um and i think like if you know if more people could adopt that kind of mindset we'd have a much more peaceful world
0: being a being an independent filmmaker you have to um obviously to survive if you don't want to work a 9 to 5 or other kind of jobs you have to take on client work and do projects for other people um but you're a filmmaker for a reason, and I know you're working on a project on a feature-length uh, screenplay right now, um, and that may have the answer of, like, why you're making movies tied into that film, but, but I'd like to know, like, why did you get into filmmaking, and what is your, um, what's the message, as you want to say, why are you doing this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, well, a big part of it is a, a really um, important, <clears throat> kind of unfortunately important part of my life has been um, in 2006, when my dad committed suicide, um, and it was just kind of an earth-shattering experience, you know, and um, to know and love something or somebody that you that you uh, have seen go through some pretty troubling times, and for it to end in uh, that way, you know, is pretty earth-shattering. But um, but also, you know, you know, my my dad was like one of the most spiritual. Um, religious and believers in 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 Jesus Christ, you know, um, one of the strongest believers I ever knew. So you know, like that experience, I I think definitely had something to do with like my eventual kind of like le- leaving of religion. But um, but it's also be- become a really incredibly important uh, experience in terms of having something to say. Um. <clears throat> which is the, the, the primary reason I've, you know, become a filmmaker, which is just to say, to say something to the world, try to, try to provide something to the world, try to, try to leave something behind that is beneficial to the, to humankind. You <laughs> know, you know, it's the ultimate goal, you know I mean? It's like, it's, it's such a flighty sort of artisty kind of objective, you know, right. But, but it's like, that's why you do it, you know? And, um, Um, you know, and so over the years I've been just trying to find, and with writing this script that I'm working on right now, I've been trying to fine tune that side of, um, my, uh, my craft, I guess, which is just, just to learn how to, how to say something worthwhile, you know? And I think like the benefit of like all this commercial work I've been doing is learning a lot of really incredibly important vocabulary uh, as far as like, how how to say things efficiently and well like you know how to visually tell a story Mm. how to to, you know compose a shot that tells a story in the quickest shortest amount of time without just saying it you know with dialogue you know that whole like show don't tell thing about about storytelling um you know, and I, I say that as if you know I don't know who, who's going to listen to this, but I, that's one of the things that we kind of like. We it's screenplay one hundred and one, right? It's just like the show don't tell thing. Um, but you know, commercial world is it's incredibly uh, beneficial in just practicing that over and over and over again. You know, and um, so you know the game plan for me is as I have made like a, a feature film. You know, like but it it was a lot like client work. It was somebody else's script. <clears throat> I'm. I'm trying to communicate somebody else's message, you know, and message is a loose term in terms of those movies. But um uh you know and and all that can be beneficial because because it's like it's like the commercial thing. Like I said, you're learning other skills along the way, a lot of really beneficial skills as a filmmaker. And so I feel like with every commercial I make, I'm like learning new things that I can bring into the feature filmmaking world or even my screenplay writing world. Um, and it's making me a little bit like slow about it, uh, about making this movie. Cause I'm just like, Oh man, I'm learning so much right now as a commercial film director mm. that like, do I keep learning for another year or two mm. before I make this thing, you know, like, mm. cause it'll just keep getting stronger, you know? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I've got something to say and, and I want to say it, you know, and I think, um, with a lot of conversations I've had, with people about religion or about a faith transition, which is an important part of the story. Um, and an important part of my story and and, and about suicide, you know, like the more I want to tell that story because like the more I realize it connects to a lot of people. Totally. Um, and so that's, that's the goal just to eventually make a movie that can entertain, you know, sell, you know, that's an important side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also touch, you know, and, and, um, hopefully benefit a lot of people. You know, so, so that would be the the ultimate objective, and and um, you know, and, and messaging wise, you know, I think like, um, you know, I want to make a movie that's that's that promotes the just the concept of agnosticism a little bit more. You know, just to you know, if if I if somebody can leave a movie kind of going, oh, I should I should say I don't know more, or I should you know ask more questions, <clears throat> or you know, maybe I should have a con conver- a difficult conversation with the you know my religious mom um uh you know or on the flip side if if a very religious spiritual person goes to see a movie is it possible to make a movie that talks to both sides of the fence you know can you get those two people to talk to each other and have a productive conversation without any strong hatred or emotion otherwise about the subject you know i mean like that that's another goal you know i mean I was, it's all like big, lofty, huge goals. But, um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm learning how to do it well, hopefully with all this commercial stuff. And
0: we'll see where it goes, man. <laughs> it's another experiment. I believe in you, Eta. <laughs> I have, I think, maybe just two more questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, these are hypothetical questions, of course. Um, but if you could go back 10 years and say something to yourself, uh, what would it be?
1: Okay. Yeah. if I uh, could go back 10 years. Um, you know, that like, uh, reminds me of some quote. I'm trying to remember who it was. I could look it up and, um, do some fact checking, but, uh, it has something to do with, um, um, probably wouldn't tell myself anything different because I wouldn't know any better. um, I mean, like what I know now is because of the life experiences that I've had. And um, I'm not sure I'd want to change that, you know, um, because you have to you have to live and you have to experience to learn lessons. Um, I mean, even even people listening to this, it's like, a, you know, hopefully what we've talked about could be a benefit to somebody. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like you, you've you kind of like to really learn the lessons You gotta go after it yourself. You gotta experience it yourself, you know. And um, experience is definitely the best teacher, you know. And and I think like um, it's it's not only one of the most important sides of the filmmaking process too. Like, turns out, you know, experience is so important in our field, you know. Totally. One thing leads to the next to the next. So uh, anyway, but you know, like. That's kind of a non-answer, I guess.
0: That's a great answer. It's, <laughs> it's probably the most right answer there is. If you have something that you would tell yourself in the past, that means you're not really you know, enjoying the moment and you're thinking about something you wish you could do differently. So so in a way, it says a lot about you as well, you know? Yeah, it's a good, yeah that's a good way to look at it. You're an astute individual. <laughs> 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 um, but is there a question you wish people would ask you that you could talk about something deep down that, you know you want to talk about, but people don't ask the question enough. Or, or what is that question? you can,
1: well, I don't know. You, you know, like, um, and one that we could talk for another hour about is, uh, is the why. I mean, I think that's really interesting. I think like, I'm not sure that's asked enough to like mm. to, uh, filmmakers in particular. Like why, why did you decide to make it? Like, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, what is your message? Mm. Um, I mean, you know, if you have a specific project, you're typically talking about the message, <clears throat> but I don't know the why is a really interesting thing. It's just like um, kind of gets me thinking about i mean um gets you thinking about what motivates you you know totally because the why is 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 ultimately what motivates you that's something I've also thought a lot about you know with with people in your life that maybe seem less motivated than you, or you know you know how it goes as a director, your job is to sometimes motivate people, the crew or in particular the actors, motivate them to do give their best performance and want to give their best performance. Sometimes you run into people that don't have that motivation. They don't have that that self drive. Um and it, I don't know, that gets me thinking about, you know, why is that? You know, why where does this all this passion and motivation come from that I got boiling up inside me? Mm. Um I don't, and I don't get asked that very often. Like you asked, you know, about mm. that, those, those reasons, you know, like what motivates you, you know? Um, so I think that could get asked more, but yeah. I
0: don't know. All right. In closing, Hey Todd, uh, where can people find you? Where can people see what you're doing? Um, I, I guess the the place
1: I'm most active these days is Instagram and that's kind of semi-active um instagram is atod underscore director um and then otherwise atod.com is my website and so I, I try to keep my portfolio up there and or atod belt pond on youtube and um yeah i'm trying to post st- What what youtube has become for me nowadays by the way is just it's a it's a place to experiment mm. you know more more about this like whole idea of experimenting with your own life you know physical mental spiritual emotional um i like to do the same thing in the film world you know because because i don't know everything about filmmaking but i do want to try to to make what i'm interested in so so, so that's a place I you know i made uh this crazy like you know, couple years i guess it's been a couple of years now i just um made for fun this deadpool video
0: um i saw it i loved it
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's just ridiculous you know it's yeah. like it was another one of those. Let's tap into Deadpool and Candy Crush. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, um, and for some reason, it's like keeps it, uh, kind of blowing up right now. Oh, wow. Two years later. Yeah, Amazing. Weird. But, um, but, you know, that was like a place for me. Like, you know, the, all these Marvel movies coming out is kind of going, you know, what can I do close to that? You know, just with no budget, just mm-hmm. with me and a camera, me and a movie, mm-hmm. you know, and... Um, and I experimented and put it out there. And, and incidentally, that led to me getting a manager, you know, and uh, an L.A. manager that now represents my whole commercial career, you know. So it's like, yeah, you never know where stuff is going to lead. Um, yep. So I don't know. I, I like using YouTube as a way just to practice, you know, just to practice things, different techniques that I'm thinking about or studying about from past directors. I like think I told you a little while back, I mean, like, kind of obsessed right now with film history and trying to learn about past directors mm-hmm. and what old directors were doing that was that was uh groundbreaking for their time. Um and um and you know trying some of those things out, whether it's like how you're working with actors or where you're putting the camera or camera movement versus no camera movement. You know, like really kind of nitty-gritty sides of the 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 directing craft. You know, like YouTube's the place to try it out because YouTube is a place where you can fail and it just does not matter. Years and years and years ago, I saw these commercials that were shot with these probe lenses and it, and it, it conjured up that like inner young side of young ATOD who's like going, how did they make this? You know? And then I, I went and researched like how they shot this thing and it was with those probe lenses. And that's what made me go, I want to shoot on those probe lenses. You know? And then I came up with a project that gave us an excuse to fly out these probe lenses from LA, you know? And like, And try to do some of the same stuff. Amazing.
0: I actually had written on my notes, um, dipping a $100,000 lens in guacamole. (laughs) That's the probe lens. Is there anything else you want to leave us with that I can impart onto people?
1: Keep questioning. You don't know everything out there, (laughs) people.
0: Amazing. Amazing. And when ATOD hashtags things, there's usually always the hashtag white belt mentality yeah i love that which is something that i've started to incorporate in my own life as well inspired by a todd (laughs) so there you have it episode one with mr a todd smith and you can find out more about a todd by visiting his website at www.atodd.com and once again this is avant savant i am your host sarab mirmont If you like this, please leave a comment or a thumbs up or subscribe. And if you want to interact with us, then you can go to our website, avant-savant.com, or find us on social media. We release new episodes every Friday, so make sure you're tuned in and subscribe. Just do it!